Welcome to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. For over 30 years, Paul Stone has been seriously handicapping college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf. Over the past five seasons, spanning almost 600 releases, Paul has hit 55% against the spread in college football, gaining the respect of sports books and bettors throughout the world. He is monitored by highly respected the Sports Monitor of Oklahoma City. Paul has also won two major Las Vegas football handicapping contests and finished in the top four in two others. Each week, Paul will provide exclusive handicapping insights on the podcast. To receive Paul's exact picks each week, you can sign up for member-only access at paulstonesports.org. Now, on to the show. Well, it was good while it lasted, but the postponements uh, and cancellations that haunted the 2020 college football season have reared their ugly head again. Uh, As I record, shortly after 8 p.m. Central on Tuesday, December 28th, I believe five games have now been canceled outright uh, with tonight's cancellation uh, of the uh, UCLA-NC State Bowl game just hours uh, before it was scheduled to kick off. And then two other teams, Washington State and Central Michigan, have been matched against one another uh, after their original opponents uh, elected not to play, citing uh, at least partially, if not fully, COVID-19 issues, and you have Wake Forest also. They're now facing the Demon Deacons, now facing Rutgers uh, after Texas A&M pulled out of that bowl game. Welcome to episode 32 of the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. And again, this week I'm Paul Stone. This week's podcast titled, I'm a Price-Sensitive Guy. When the bowl pairings uh, were announced on Sunday, December 5th, you know, I don't think there were too many of us who were expecting the possibility of losing multiple bowl games. You know, maybe I didn't personally, I'll speak for myself, maybe I didn't have my eyes wide open uh, and I was focusing too much on the competing teams and their personnel and I wasn't looking maybe at the periphery. Uh, but I know I didn't see this coming um, in any shape, form, or fashion three and a half weeks ago but as they say uh, it is what it is and like everyone else uh, those of us who enjoy handicapping the sport uh, we have to adjust we have to take the good with the bad Uh, personally uh, when i look at my bowl betting portfolio as a whole uh, many of the bets that i made on sunday december 5th and monday december 6th um, i've taken the worst of it uh, as far as Uh, the games uh, that have uh, come to the point where entire teams have have opted out or um, games involving um, individual player opt-outs or even games involving uh, key individuals who kind of did an about-face concerning their intentions about whether or not to play in the bowl game, most notably Pitt quarterback uh, Kenny Pickett, who I think, and he was being honest, I mean, I think he, he was being forthright He initially said he would play in the bowl game against Michigan State, but he reconsidered that position uh, when offensive coordinator Mark Whipple uh, left Pitt to take the same job at Nebraska. Uh, So with Pickett at quarterback, as I thought he would be, you know, I felt comfortable on Sunday, the 5th of December, taking uh, its game against Michigan State to go over 62 and a half. Uh, I could envision 
uh, Pickett really having big numbers against uh, Michigan State's uh, porous secondary. And that was even if Kenneth Walker III, Michigan State's uh, highly rated running back, opted out. I knew there was that possibility, and Walker did indeed opt out. But here we are two days before uh, the bowl game between Michigan State and Pittsburgh. Nick Patty uh, now starting at quarterback for Pitt. Uh, certainly a significant drop-off from Kenny Pickett. The total now only 55-and-a-half. So here I sit uh, with seven points of so-called negative value. Uh, I quote-unquote guessed right on the Memphis-Hawaii game, uh, knowing the, the Rainbow Warriors that their quarterback, Siobhan Cordero, and their top running back, Day-Day Hunter, uh, had both entered the transfer portal and wouldn't play in the bowl game. And then right about the time bowl games were being announced, the pairings were being announced, allegations of player mistreatment uh, by Hawaii head coach Todd Graham started to surface. Uh, so I went big, you know, at least by my standards, on Memphis minus three and Hawaii under 61. Uh, I don't have my scorecard right in front of me, uh, but I definitely had both, uh, um, had loads of value rather uh, on both the side and total in that game. Uh, before Hawaii uh, pulled out of the game, uh, pulled the plug on the game, citing, again, uh, COVID-19 issues. And this was a Hawaii team, again, minus his starting quarterback, uh, its top running back, uh, and facing at least some player unrest. So kind of got the worst of it there. Uh, then in the A&M Wake Forest game, you know, I correctly anticipated numerous opt-outs on the Aggies' side, uh, and they didn't disappoint. And I also got an unexpected boost or gift when uh, A&M's quarterback, uh, Zach Calzada, announced he was entering the transfer portal and wouldn't play in the bowl game, meaning A&M would be left to start an untested walk-on uh, at the most critical position on the field. Uh, certainly one by one, uh, you know, virtually all of the Aggies' top draft-eligible players did indeed opt out of the game. Uh, I took Wake plus four. Uh, it was going to be my biggest bet of the bowl season. Uh, the line didn't move, which I was surprised, uh, even after the uh, announcement that Calzada uh, was not going to play in the bowl game. But I still thought my handicap of the game uh, was taking shape perfectly, uh, and that was until an A&M squad, again, without a healthy uh, scholarship quarterback, uh, many of its top players opting out and uh, really left with little to play for. Uh, in a season falling short of expectations, uh, the Aggies announced uh, they were down to just 38 scholarship players uh, due to COVID injury and opt-out issues, and the school uh, pulled out of the uh, bowl game against Wake Forest. So that bet is well uh, a refund, but that's the way it goes. You know, I think Wake was going to win that game outright. I felt good about the way things kind of took shape as I, I saw or thought they might. Uh, but, you know, you take the good with the bad. One team I'm going to commend uh, for playing uh, despite losing its head coach since the end of the regular season uh, and also just having its starting lineup, and this, this word's overused, I believe, but its starting lineup was decimated by transfers and opt-outs, I think more than any other bowl team this bowl season, and that's the Nevada Wolfpack. Uh, most notably, uh, their quarterback, Carson Strong, uh, opted out. Uh, I felt like he would opt out. He's had right knee issues for some time now. 
Uh, he's considered to be one of the top uh, quarterbacks in the upcoming April 2022 NFL draft. But they lost a lot more than just strong. Uh, their four top receivers and tight ends opted out. Um, their top, I mean, their top defensive players, they lost key players at virtually every position area. Uh, but to its credit, uh, Nevada chose to compete uh, despite having to go into battle without many of its top veteran performers. Uh, kind of a skeleton of a squad is, is the term that I've used. Uh, but they, they, again, they chose to compete. Uh, this game was going to represent for most of those players the final opportunity uh, to, to play a football game in many cases, certainly to suit up for many uh, the last time they would suit up for Nevada uh, in that uh, in that setting. So uh, they played Western Michigan. Western Michigan uh, predictably uh, controlled the game from the outset, uh, won comfortable 52-24. to 24. Uh, This was a game that I played Western Michigan uh, on Sunday, December 5th, and, and I think I played some tickets even on Monday, December 6th, but played Western Michigan mostly at plus seven, also played some plus six and a half, uh, took the same game to go under 66 uh, based on Strong's uh, absence, um, based on those knee issues and my feeling that he would ultimately opt out of the game. Um you know, I think uh, you added up, and I had a combined closing line value of 23.5 points on those two tickets. Uh, but despite, you know, having that type of, of value, the bet split, uh, although my larger position was on the on the side, uh, and I also, with Western Michigan leading the game 31-10 to 10 at the half, I additionally played the second half to go over 24.5 uh, to ensure kind of a substantial profit because I had such a um, favorable original position, I wanted to optimize that position. So I added that bet uh, to ensure a, a pretty nice profit. You know, while I'm on the subject, you know, I certainly regularly see sports bettors sparring over and debating the validity of closing line value. Uh, to paraphrase a quote uh, that has long been attributed to the late Hall of Fame Green Bay Packer coach Vince Lombardi. And again, I do paraphrase and take some liberty here, but here's my, uh, the, my paraphrasing of his quote. Closing line value isn't everything, but it's a pretty big thing. You know what I mean? You know, hey, you're, you're not going to win every bet that has closing line value, even, even significant closing line value. You know, there's too much randomness. Uh, too many other factors that play into it. Uh, the final margin uh, in many college games come nowhere near the, the opening line or nowhere near the closing line for that matter. Uh, you know, it's difficult. I found it's difficult to get sports bettors, you know, even successful ones, to agree on anything. But I believe most would agree over the long term. And I'm talking about even more than a complete season or even a year. I'm talking a large sample size. But over the long term, if a person is going to win, truly win at sports betting over the long haul, they're going to have closing line value more often than not. And this part of it's my individual opinion, but I'd say they're going to have closing line value two-thirds of the time, you know, maybe even more. And not that this is part of closing line value, but they're not going to bet many parlays and futures, and they're not 
constantly buying half points or full points. And, um, you know, I bring this up because I'm regularly dismayed when I hear people's opinions about buying points in college football. You know, they routinely do this as part of their approach to betting the sport. Man, it is difficult in optimal circumstances to win long-term at sports betting. It's damn near impossible if you're daily or almost daily paying these typically insanely high insurance premiums. And that's what you're doing. You know, you're buying insurance. You're trying to add another of insulation protecting you from the prospect of losing. Um, you know, instead, you know, I think a person, do your work and then do some more work. Uh, get the best of the number and get that number at reduced juice when you can. Uh, you rarely, though, almost never want to pay more than the standard, uh, you know, minus 110. You know, maybe occasionally, you know, if you can get, if the game's minus three universally at minus 110 and you can get minus two and a half at minus 116 or minus 118 even, I think, you know, you maybe can do that occasionally, but I wouldn't do it regularly. Again, it's all about work. And as I like to say, the only place success comes before work is in the dictionary. Now I want to offer some thoughts uh, on the title of this week's podcast, I'm a Price-Sensitive Guy. And what I've been talking about to this point, you know, leading into this, certainly feeds into the topic. Uh, You know, a lot of what I will address on this podcast and and other podcasts for that matter are are going to be my thoughts on prevailing belief systems, uh, you know, approaches and tendencies in sports betting. Uh, most specifically betting on college football. You know, I regularly see or hear persons who communicate their betting positions uh, by posting or articulating uh, the sides they're supporting without referencing the number at which they've taken that team. You know, and it's a a two-piece deal. I mean, you, you don't just take a team or take a game to go under or over You take them at a number, at a price, and one without the other is incomplete. You know, when I hear somebody say, well, I took, who you got? Well, I've got Florida State, Texas, and under in the SMU game. Well, you got to tell me the numbers you've got them at because we all enter the the marketplace at different points, and some of us have uh, very favorable numbers, some of us maybe unfavorable numbers, and some of us somewhere in between. You want to be sure um, that you're a price-sensitive person. You know, maybe you don't you don't have to be sensitive in, in other areas of your life necessarily, but you got to be price-sensitive. You know, I know a lot of guys, a lot of betters, even guys who've been at it for a long time, who might possess the gift of gab, but in many cases never quite equally grasped the gift of price sensitivity. They might talk your ear off uh, and even brag about the betting ticket in their front right pocket, but it never crosses their mind that they could have had a full point more two days earlier if they've got the underdog. 
or that they maybe bought the ticket at Sportsbook A on an NFL team on Thursday night at minus 110 juice when Sportsbook B just across the street, and Lord knows they could use the exercise, offers 105 juice on Thursday night NFL games. And they have the exact same point spread on the side that they took. you got to take advantage of these types of situations. Many states in new markets, as the licensees uh, are very ag- aggressive in their customer acquisition techniques, these places are offering some, some tremendous bonuses. And you've got to take advantage of those. You know, they're not going to last forever. Uh, after a few years, you know they're gonna they're gonna pull those and they'll be they'll be gone forever. So you got to take advantage of every edge you can get, and some of those edges again might even be, uh, depending on the markets that you bet in, might even be in the form of bonuses. But sports betting, I think a lot of people think about how much they win. But sports betting, successful sports betting, is as much about minimizing your losses as it is maximizing your profits. You know, again, if you're an absolute expert with very few peers, you're still going to lose 40%, you know, 46% of the time at straight bets. So when you lose, and you will lose, it's paramount that you lose at a lesser level. You know, guys who say the line doesn't matter, the vigorous doesn't matter if you win, hopefully they're joking. Uh, But if they're not, uh, you know, know, you're probably more likely to see them illegally park, uh, you know, a beat-up AMC pacer in the sportsbook parking lot uh, than you are uh, to see them have their Mercedes uh, valet parked up front. You know, we all hear stories um, about wildly successful or successful sports bettors who supposedly can't even name two players on any of the teams in the sport on which they bet. You know, some of these stories might be slightly or even greatly exaggerated, you know, but others are not. And and what this person possesses is price sensitivity. And they know that having a good number far outweighs any disadvantage that they might face in the marketplace due to their lack of knowledge uh, on the participating team's rosters. You know, this person typically is going to have a a lot of high-limit outs or places to bet. Uh, They might even have a team of persons monitoring line movement almost around the clock. And this person certainly knows the line, the number he's looking for, and he won't enter the marketplace until he gets it. You know, as uh, some discerning sports bettors, uh, bettors rather through the year have been known to say about selectivity, They play the Star Spangled Banner somewhere every day. You know, you contrast this approach with the approach of the novice sports better, uh, who in a worst-case scenario bets the day before on the day of the game with my cousin Vinny or perhaps Guido, you know, who does book in the office at the Midtown Pizzeria that's been in his family for decades. Uh, That's a worst-case scenario. In a best-case scenario... Uh, this person might book at the same, might bet rather at the same book uh, down the street from uh, his apartment. Uh, again, regardless of the price or point spread, or when the book posts their opening lines or anything of that matter, 
Uh, because after all, he's comfortable there. It's nearby, uh, and he gets shoveled a few drink tickets uh, every now and again from uh, Louie, who he's kind of buddies with. So, you know, that's where he likes to go, and that's all well and good if that's what your goal structure is. Uh, you know, these described habits, you know, they might be comfortable to the to the better. But that approach certainly doesn't represent the template for a long-term winning approach to sports betting. In my opinion, probably the most neglected, most overlooked component of an overall winning approach to sports betting, you guessed it, is price sensitivity. You can't crave action. You can only crave winning. You know, you've got to get the best of the number. You can't take any price. You can't take any number. You take your price. You know, if your price doesn't show up today, you'll wait until tomorrow. Uh, If kickoff is closing in and your buy price still hasn't shown, you pass on the game, you know, rather than force a bet just to have a bet. And if you were holding out, let's say, for plus three, thought it might get there, the game closed at two and a half, and you watched the game or heard of the game's outcome and the underdog ultimately won the game outright, and it didn't really matter whether you got your three, you don't mutter under your breath, I should have bet the game. I knew they were going to cover. I had a winner. You don't do that. I mean, you might acknowledge it in your mind, uh, but you're not deterred or disappointed. You know, you had your price. Uh, You stick to your plan. You stick to your process. The person I'm describing, you know, to be uh, in the spirit of full disclosure, that's a perfect example of price sensitivity. Uh, And probably most of us are not quite that disciplined. I wish I was as disciplined as the person I just described in my commitment to the art. But some of us are certainly more disciplined than other Others uh, are, we're more price sensitive than others. And how we demonstrate or don't demonstrate our price sensitivity uh, in our daily uh, betting lives certainly uh, fluctuates from person to person. Price sensitivity, folks, is especially critical if you bet futures, uh, especially if you bet mid shots or long shots, which I believe is the best way to uh, to pro- approach these markets if you choose to participate in these markets. Uh, some of you have listened, and I appreciate it, but some of you have listened to most, if not all, of my podcasts, so I won't delve into great detail. But sports books in the same geographical market can have drastically different hold percentages on their futures markets. You know, not to belabor the point, because I've preached it on multiple occasions on this podcast, but you can see a team or an individual at 35 to 1 to win a betting event at one shop and walk across the street, or in today's betting world, maybe look at a different app, and find the same bet at 60 to 1. So you got to be price sensitive if you're betting these markets because you're going to win one of those tickets from time to time and when you do you can do the math but 60 to 1 is a whole lot better than 35 to 1 i'll say this about futures as well if you're going to bet futures bet them early um, because the value is in betting early the pros or the sharps or whatever you want to call them 
they're going to suck the value out of these markets in a hurry. If some team or some player is mispriced or attractively priced, it's not going to last long. Now on to this week's shameless plug. Uh, after today's double winner on Air Force Plus One uh, and Air Force over 54.5, I'm now again at 56% against the spread over the entire college football season as monitored by the highly respected the Sports Monitor of Oklahoma City. Uh, entering tonight's college hoops, I'm hit, hitting a monitored 58%. Again, as monitored by the Sports Monitor of Oklahoma City, I put a lot of work into both of those efforts. Uh, extremely proud of both of those records uh, to this point in those seasons. You can get all, first of, uh, first of all, all of my remaining college football selections this season all the way through the national championship game for just $99. And you can get my entire college basketball package through the Final Four uh, for just $3.29. If interested, please visit paulstonesports.org. If not interested, keep listening for this week's complimentary selection. And without further ado, the competing teams in uh, Friday's Sun Bowl uh, were both initially at least expecting to be facing different opponents. Washington State uh, was preparing to face Miami, Florida, while Central Michigan matched against Boise State. Uh, well, as we most of us probably know, listening to this podcast, as fate would have it, Miami, Florida, and Boise State uh, pull out of those contests, uh, citing COVID concerns. And now Washington State of the Pac-12 and Central Michigan of the Mid-American Conference are new dance partners, and they're going to square off in El Paso on short notice this Friday. I'm going to be fairly brief, but Mid-American Conference – uh, teams rarely face Power 5 opponents in bowl games. And this game clearly represents a step up in class for the Chippewas. You know, I realize one can make the argument that Washington State was really excited about playing Miami and now not nearly quite as excited about playing Central Michigan. But the line is only seven points, and I think that's a little cheap, uh, even with the opt-outs uh, on Washington side. Uh, state side rather so i'm going to say lay the seven and take washington state to defeat central michigan by more than seven points well that's going to do it for another episode of the paul stone sports podcast we've got just a few days remaining in 2021 let's close it uh, strong in all areas of our life uh, i wish you all a happy healthy and prosperous 2022 have a great day. Until next time, again, signing off, I'm Paul Stone. Thank you for listening to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And visit paulstonesports.org to sign up for member-only access to Paul's college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf picks and predictions.